0: Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. During this special edition of Spotlight, Jim Snyder, with Crosstalk on the VCY American Radio Network, interviews Lori Higgins, with the Illinois Family Institute. Their discussion centers on actions taken by two powerful organizations, the National Education Association and the American Psychological Association.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that the biblical values that you and I hold dear are being undermined? More than just being undermined, they are actually being attacked and facing direct assaults by organizations which purport to be backed by sound science and sound educational principles. Yet those in whom we have placed our trust as a nation are working feverishly to destroy Christian values and are influencing this generation in a way that is, well, it's negatively impacting the minds of young children, teens, and adults. It's an indoctrination taking aim at biblical truth and sexualizing our nation. We're speaking of the American Psychological Association and the National Education Association. Joining us today, we'd like to welcome Lori Higgins. Lori is a cultural affairs writer with the Illinois Family Institute. Lori, thank you for being with us today.
2: Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for having me.
1: I'd like to begin with the APA, the American Psychological Association. Uh, you have brought to light uh, a division uh, of the APA known as Division 44. Sounds kind of mysterious. What is Division 44?
2: Yes, and actually I was surprised how long ago it formed. It formed in 1985, and the title is The Society for the Psychology of Sexual Orientation and Gender Diversity. And one might think from that title that they would be examining these issues, but no, this was started by a group of LGB psychologists and their allies to promote and deliver affirmative psychological services to homosexual and transgender community. So this is, this is not an organization that is dedicated to researching this topic. It's dedicated to promoting a set of assumptions about what I would call deviant sexuality.
1: Now, when give us again the year that this was formed.
2: The Division 44 was formed in 1985, but just in this last year, that Division 44 established a committee uh, that a task force, rather, that's called the Task Force on Consensual Non-Monogamy. That's why it's made the press. And for those who don't know what non-monogamy is, I mean, it's kind of self-evident. But another term you'll hear often in the culture is polyamory, which is the sexual and romantic involvement with multiple people at the same time Mm -hmm. of various
1: sexes. Now, it's interesting, uh, 1985, so we're talking this whole sexualizing of the nation as as it comes through the APA, this has been underway for some time.
2: It has. Well, it goes back farther than that, because it really goes back to 1973, when there was a political assault at an a- a- APA convention to take out homosexuality from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and it was a political event. Mm -hmm. It wasn't based on science or even the social sciences, which I call pseudosciences. It was a political action, and then it's just continued since then, which is why my argument and the argument of many others is we should have no that the apa should no longer have any credibility because it's a political activist organization.
1: But the problem is they do have credibility amongst uh the medical profession, amongst the educational profession. I mean there are many who quote the apa and they'll say, "Well see, the apa has made this decision, therefore we need to make, you know, change here."
2: Well, exactly. I mean, one of the things that I talk about in my article is that as our culture has moved away from religion and I would say in particular Christianity, What fills now the gap as the arbiter of morality is not faith, it is pseudosciences, the social sciences, which are woefully unstable. You know, they they cite studies that they can't later replicate, and they find out that they have confirmation bias and all sorts of problems with it, but and yet the results continue to be touted. And so, yeah, we do look, the culture does look to the APA. And there's an interesting thing about that, and, it, which is, and it's the same thing that happened with the American Academy of Pediatrics because they came out, at, well, two years in a row and affirming what they call transaffirmative protocol for children. And so I looked into, well, who is it that comes up with these policies? And I found out with the APA, I mean the AAP, which is composed of about 66,000 members, Fifty-five people created and voted on that policy. It's never sent out to the entirety of the AAP. Mm. And the similar things are going on here because you now have this new task force, and I identified all the people that are listed as advisor, on the advisory board for this task force. If, you like go, if people go to my article online, they can mm-hmm. read about each one of them. They're all people who affirm... For example, BDSM, bondage, discipline, sadomasochism, and all sorts of other deviant sexualities. That's who serves on the advisory committee. For, it's not ideologically balanced or neutral. In fact, I encourage people to go to it. There's one in particular. Well, I don't even know what I if I should say. They should go and look on Richard Sprott. What the kind of uh, workshops he offers at the BDSM conventions he
1: speaks at? I don't even want to say it on the air. I don't even know if I could. Lori, this is so graphic and so detailed, and yet we see, you know, educational groups and medical groups that that are quoting from them and and saying, yes, this is what we need to affirm. The APA has put their stamp of approval on it, and and so they treat it as as being gospel. Matter of fact, one of the things you you've warned about here is that they equate this consensual non monogamy like adultery or polyamory as just another sexual orientation, and don't we see that sprinkled all throughout our our laws today here across this land?
2: Exactly. The the people who are on this uh, task force view it as a sexual orientation. They have a petition to have it included as a protected class, and this is why conservatives have long argued we should not include sexual orientation in anti-discrimination policies or, or laws. The reason is not that we want people bullied or harassed or treated badly. The reason is that sexual orientation will come to include other things, other forms of deviant sexuality, including what are called the paraphilias. And so now we're seeing that come home to roost. So we'll, And once you have that, once you establish this as a protected class, you will begin to see it in schools, high schools, middle schools, and down into the lower grades, because now we're introducing the trans ideology, and homosexuality to kindergartners. And so this is the problem. I think conservatives and probably everybody, they too little look at the big picture and the implications of ideas. So, for example, with marriage, if once, the, once we have it written in law that marriage has nothing to do with biological sex and nothing to do with reproductive potential, there's no way to re- restrict it to two people. Mm-hmm. And so the legalization of plural unions is going to be pushed by the polyamorous. And now we have, no, it's not that it might happen. It said it's inevitable now that we will legalize plural unions
1: yeah, and i, I find it interesting uh, because there's an article on life site news talking about teen vogue. this is a, a publication uh, directed at girls uh, thirteen years of age and older but they they recently had this article of a person declaring uh, herself polyamorous, saying she's attracted to men and to women would find fulfillment in a relationship with two other people uh they're calling that arrangement a thruple
2: right. And they, well, they, and there have been earlier articles about people who have actually legally married, I think it was in Canada a thruple, mm-hmm. and so yes we 're going to see this we 're going to see it at the lower grades it 'll come in as you know under the rubric of family diversity that 's one of the ways that they 'll get it in, and they, they specifically say in here that they want to destigmatize polyamory. To destigmatize means to eradicate cultural disapproval of something, and they actually describe it. This is their own description. They call it polyamory, open relationships, swinging, relationship anarchy. That's their description and other types of ethical non-monogamous relationships. Of course, they don't define what kind of criteria they use in the definition of ethical, because most people, I would say, well, certainly all decent people would say it's intrinsically non. Ethical to have multiple relationships at the same time.
1: And they're portraying polyamorous as being the victims in all of this.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the whole destigmatization, and they talk about it. Ju- they use the same tactics the homosexual community has used to advance their cause, which is to talk about how bad they feel when someone, when they hear disapproval of it. And the left uses that to suggest that the ethical legitimacy of speech, of the things that we say, is determined by the subjective response of the hearer. So if someone within earshot doesn't like your expression of your moral beliefs, then what you've said is wrong. And of course that's absurd. And they don't, they don't adhere to that principle consistently. They don't say that if they express their beliefs and a Christian hears them, you know, that Christians are hateful and all this, they don't say that, well, therefore their speech is unethical. So it only goes in one direction.
1: Tori Higgins is our guest today, cultural affairs writer with the Illinois Family Institute. Uh, there was a uh, Princeton University professor, Robert uh, George, uh, and back in 2015, he warned uh, with his question, is polyamory next? And he wrote, if, you know, if gender doesn't matter for marriage, uh, they ask, well, then why should number matter? If love makes a family, as that slogan goes, why should th- you know their marriage be denied legal recognition, the dignity and social standing come along with it? It. And that, that's you know once we change the definition of marriage is what it is, uh, its historic definition that has stood for all of time, then then why should number matter in all of this?
2: Exactly. I was on before same sex marriage was legalized. Well, by a Bergerfeld before that Illinois legalized it and I was on a radio program with the ACLU spokesperson in Illinois in Chicago and he kept saying marriage is the union of two people who love each other and I I kept asking in the interview I kept saying why two people mm-hmm. and he couldn't answer and finally I said to the host I said I would submit that he won't answer because he can't answer because once you remove both biological sex and reproductive potential from the criteria determining what marriage is, there remains no reason to keep two people. Because conservatives understand why marriage is restricted to two people, because there are two sexes. And the, and actually, the state, if marriage is just about love, there is no justification for the government being involved at all. The government isn't involved to affirm people's love. That's not. A, there's no vested interest in the state to do that the state's interest is in protecting the needs and rights of children because that affects the public good and that's what the government is involved in, why it's involved with marriage.
1: And this uh, APA Division 44, they've actually launched a petition drive building support for what they call this relationship diversity issues.
2: Right, exactly. And their petition drive is the one that specifically says that they want to include non-monogamy as a protected class. And this, you know, there needs to be more discussion among conservatives about what cl- what classes should be protected. The left has made great headway in comparing. They started with homosexuality and comparing it to race because it served a strategic purpose. But there are no similarities. There are no analogies or co- points of correspondence between homosexuality per se or polyamory per se and race, which is an objective biological condition with no behavioral implications whatsoever. There's literally no points of correspondence, but we don't challenge them on their analogy, and it continues
1: to work. Let's get a website out where people can read this article and others that you've written as well.
2: Sure, illinoisfamily.org.
1: And uh, folks, you go there, you'll find these articles by Lori Higgins, IllinoisFamily.org. Lori Higgins, our guest with the uh, Illinois Family Institute, you have said that the APA is a tool for sexual deviancy, deviancy advocacy. You're not being over dramatic there, are you?
2: No, not at all. And if people would, you know, go to the article online and read about the people who serve on the task force yeah. advisory board, they'll see that. I'm not exaggerating. They're, they're involved with and promoting all sorts of, I mean, what I'm going to use language from there, kinky romance novels, BDSM, coprophilia, which people can look up because I'm not going to discuss it here. Those are people who serve, and I'd say, in what, in what kind of world are those activities suggestive of psychological health? They're not, and let alone
1: moral health. Well this APA initiative is making its way into schools. I, I was reading an article in The Daily Signal, and uh, they're reporting of a California teacher uh starting to review their state's health lesson mandates that's another whole topic in itself but uh, she discovered then this lgbt this non monogamy task force and and in doing so realized uh, uh in teaching her to avoid terms like boyfriend and girlfriend because some students may be non monogamous. And, and Lori, this is a lesson plan for 12 year old children.
2: Right. It, we, and this brings up a really important um, aspect of public education's decision to advocate for sexual deviance and leftist views of that, which is they continually use the word appropriate, age appropriate. And no one, community members, don't ever ask them, What criteria do you use to establish age appropriateness? No one asks the questions. So they can, a teacher, and also people rely a lot on what they call, you know, curricula review committees, not realizing, and I worked in a public school for a decade before I came to Illinois Family Institute, teachers can read an article on the weekend in, you know, the New York Times and bring it in and discuss it with their students without ever running it by a department chair or a curricula review committee. So a teacher can read this in the APA, this teacher you, that you talked about, mm-hmm. she was disturbed by this, but other people could read this and say, oh, this is a good thing to bring into class. Mm -hmm. And in an affirmative way. And so we don't know what's going on in our classrooms. That's the reality. And the APA is very influential. The NEA, which we're going to talk about, is very influential. The American Library Association, which also like affirms the drag queen story hours, that's very influential. So we've lost control of what our children are taught in classes.
1: Well, this really does segue to our next national organization, Undermining Biblical Values, the NEA, National Education Association. And, uh, Laura, you, again, you've written that they have just held their annual representative assembly, Houston, uh, Texas, nearly 7,000 delegates. And what they have passed in new business items is absolutely appalling. Before we share some of those, I think it's important if, if you have before you what this organization uh, has as their code of ethics, uh, which is seemingly going to violate the very things that they just passed. Right, and this is the irony, yes, I have it in front of
2: me. so this is from there are other parts of the code of ethics, but here 's one part says so the educator recognizes the supreme importance of the pursuit of truth, devotion to excellence, and the nurture of the democratic principles. Essential to these goals is the protection of freedom to learn. The educator, therefore works to stimulate the spirit of inquiry, the acquisition of knowledge and understanding, and the thoughtful formulation of worthy goals in fulfillment of the obligation to the student. The educator shall not unreasonably deny the students access to varying points of view. End quote. What's interesting about this is, I know from working in public schools, they do indeed deny students access to varying points of view, particularly on matters related
1: to sexuality. Mm-hmm. Don't you dare say that there's two genders. Uh, you know, don't dare say there's male and female. You might find yourself in the principal's office or suspended. Right.
2: Because what they've done is they've redefined the word safety. Now they mean discomfort. When they say safety, they really mean discomfort. But they'll say safety, and they'll say if a student, even if they present multiple resources that affirm homosexuality, same sex marriage, gender confusion as not gender confusion, if you bring in, re- if you say, how about one resource that challenges that? and intellectually does, they will say, oh, no, 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 students can't be exposed to that because it makes them feel unsafe. When I worked at the high school, it was on the north shore of Chicago for a decade. I was in the English department, and they were teaching a really obscene play, Angels in America, that promotes homosexuality. One of the English teachers who was teaching it sent a letter to the local press saying, it's English teacher's job. It's the job of English teachers to challenge the morals and emotions of students. Really? Yes. And, and I responded in print. He was a colleague of mine. But, and I said, is that really the, do, the job of English teachers? And if so, if it is, then why aren't the emotions and values and beliefs of liberal kids ever challenged by resources?
1: Wow. So true, and yet we are finding the, you know, the, the taping over the mouths of students that would hold opposing viewpoints uh, to the uh, agenda
0: items, basically, of the NEA, especially in sexuality items. This is Illinois Family Spotlight. Jim Snyder's crosstalk interview with Illinois Family Institute's Lori Higgins will continue after this. This is Albert Mueller for TownHall.com. Planned Parenthood has announced that the organization is pulling out of the federally funded Title X programs. It's a move that will cost the nation's largest abortion provider over $280 million a year. It comes after months of speculation that they would withdraw from Title X in response to a change in policy from the Trump administration, an effort on the part of the administration to reduce or eliminate federal funding for abortion and abortion providers. What that means is that Planned Parenthood is so ardently, adamantly, obsessively committed Committed to abortion, that the organization's actually going to forego millions and millions of dollars of taxpayer funding for contraception and other family planning services provided under Title X, in order to prove its deadly commitment to abortion above all. Planned Parenthood has finally, honestly, made very clear what its real priorities are. As if we had any doubt, its first priority is abortion, and now we know. I'm Albert Moeller. During this special edition of Illinois Family Spotlight, we're featuring Crosstalk host Jim Snyder's interview on education with Lori Higgins, culture writer for the Illinois Family Institute. I'd like to uh, have us review some of these new business items that
1: the NEA actually passed at their uh, meetings that were held in early July here 2019. If this doesn't Serve as an eye opener to 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 people across this nation. I don't know what it's going to take because these are so egregious as it relates to Christian values and and biblical truth that it's a direct assault on things that the parents are teaching their children.
2: It's so extreme. It is just like you've taken the most radical uh, parts of the the Democratic platform and passed it as. Um, you know, new business items for the NEA. So uh, some of them are the NEA opposes all attacks on the right to choose and stands on the fundamental right to abortion. It calls on the Trump administration, the Senate, and the House to end the detention of immigrant children and their families including end to ICE raids. It calls on the U.S. government to expect, accept responsibility for the destabilization of Central America. It wa- It's pushing for reparations for descendants of slaves. It wants... As a top legislative priority to push the Equality Act, okay, which
1: I know you've talked about. Laura, what do any of these things have to do with education?
2: Exactly. Well, it gets even worse because when you get to some of the, the sexuality stuff, they want to, here's one, they want to create model legislative language so state affiliates can lobby to have K through 12 cross content curriculum that is lgbtq plus inclusive in other words they don't want to ha- it's bad enough that in kindergarten you might teach about homosexuality or gender confusion through anti bullying programs or health or social and emotional learning they want it in All content curriculum, and that what that would do it would make it impossible for parents to to opt their children out of such teaching because it would be in every area.
1: Every area. It doesn't matter what the course subject is; it's fully integrated. Uh, We know some some years ago here in the city of Milwaukee, they had a gay and lesbian advisory committee, and they had this whole manual, Lori. And one of the things was that that, you know to incorporate in every classroom, every class subject matter. Uh, So in the math, you use math story uh, problems with same sex couples or you know, so you, you cannot get away from it. They'll indoctrinate right. in every aspect.
2: Right, exactly. And already, when you have things like you allow the sexual integration of locker rooms and restrooms, that it, even if your parents say, that's not going to happen, I'm telling the school and you'll have to go in the nurse's office or something, such a policy is actually teaching children that in order to be loving, inclusive, tolerant, you have to... Relinquish your privacy to opposite-sex peers in private spaces. So even our even it's not just curricula that's bad. It's also policies we're having in school. Also, the NEA is promoting Black Lives Matter Week of Action in in pre-K through 12. I mean, if the article is online and them and those are just I'm just quoting that. That's not my paraphrase of Mm -hmm. any of these. It's deeply, deeply troubling.
1: It is troubling. Another one, NEA will incorporate concept of white fragility into NEA teaching, staff development, literature, and other existing communications on social, gender, LGBTQIA, and racial justice. And uh, what, what is this white fragility that they refer to?
2: Yes, well, that might be a new concept or term to some people. And so this is my description. It's a racist, leftist term invented to mock and criticize and silence white people who disagree with the assumptions of critical race theory or sometimes people have heard it referred to as teaching for social justice because well they'll say you're afraid to hear these ideas you instead of you disagree with that idea It's you're afraid of it, and that demonstrates your white fragility. And and one of the problems, you know, when Black Lives Matter and Antifa emerged on the scene in a very public way, a lot of people were saying, wow, this is what they're learning in college. I am telling people here, it doesn't start in college. It starts minimum Freshman year of high school, if not middle school. And I, it's probably by now it's in elementary schools too. And we are, a whole generation now has been indoctrinated with the social justice theory, mm-hmm. which is really repackaged socialism. And it also divides people up into groups according to who is the purported oppressor and who are the oppressed. And if you are white, male, and heterosexual, you are at the top of the oppression food chain even if you've never done anything oppressive even if you have no feelings of superiority over any other group By virtue of the fact that you are in possession of those traits, you are an oppressor, and they're teaching that in in schools. When I worked at Deerfield High School, that's on Chicago's North Shore, I had a student once, and she was in American Studies, which is an integrated social studies and English class, and I was working on her paper, and I said, boy, you have a real negative view of America. And she said, oh, by the end of first semester of American Studies, I hated America, and I hated being an American. Really? Yes. Yes. So good job, teachers
1: Wow, and so no doubt the rise of the socialistic attitude we 're seeing today
2: well, yes, because I knew the teachers who taught that class, and that is their view they are proponents of social justice theory. It also hyper focuses on the flaws and failures in America, which of course every country has because every country is made up of flawed humans, but um, but in it and it Undervalues the remarkable job we've done at integrating virtually every ethnic and racial group in the world in America. We do a remarkable job, and that is not emphasized in these classrooms.
1: Now, Lori, we know that uh, the NEA is is funded by teachers by union dues coming into them, but something that's very astounding that happened at this uh, meeting earlier in July—they actually have opened the doors to see their their coffers lined pretty handsomely.
2: Yes, exactly. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think it's really important. Although when you read it, it sounds kind of boring. Two thirds of the delegates voted to amend the National Teachers Union's constitution to allow non-educators to become members. So what's interesting about that is all it does is allow them to donate to the NEA's political action committee. They can't vote on policy or anything else. They can't nominate candidates for office, they can't hold governance positions. And why that's important is that if they were, if you were able to join and have some effect on policy in mm-hmm. some ways, That would incentivize conservatives joining, because maybe they could change the NEA. But since all you can do is donate to the political action committee that exists, all that does is strengthen the power structure that now exists. It will incentivize more liberals to join, because they'll want to donate money, but it will not incentivize conservatives to donate money. So now it's a way to systematically or systemically cement the liberal control of the NEA.
1: Does that include corporate support?
2: My understanding, I don't, I don't understand, I haven't read that it limits it to, it says anyone who wants to join can as long as they give the money.
1: Wow. You have uh, said, your closing statement of this article, the NEA and its ideological allies have transformed education into indoctrination. You mean every word of that?
2: Absolutely. When you take topics in schools and you present resources that espouse, embody, articulate only one set of assumptions, then that is not education. It violates the most basic principles principles of sound pedagogy, and it transforms
1: education into indoctrination. Folks, what's your reaction to this? I mean, the the, the section or this rather division forty four. Have you heard of that before from the American Psychological Association? And what, is, what they're promoting is consensual non monogamy. Uh, that issue going on. We have the NEA and the issues that are being purported and passed. I mean, their their agenda is laid out before us here. Uh, they're going to promote abortion, I mean, without apology, uh, and that, folks, they have sway in the, the teachers' conventions and the training of teachers who then take those policies into the classroom, and all manners of whatever you want to think in your mind on LGBTQIA++++ is going to be there in the classroom as well. And this is something that is passed in in their resolutions under new business coming to a school near you. Lori Higgins is with us today. She's a cultural affairs writer at the Illinois Family Institute. You can read her columns on this as well as other matters that they're dealing with there at the Illinois Family Institute simply by going to the website, IllinoisFamily.org, IllinoisFamily.org. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Nathan is calling from Alabama.
2: Hi, uh, two-part question. One, was there any dissident voices within the
0: NEA or the APA that put anything down in writing? Um, And what was the reaction to the dissident voices? And part two, uh, for Lori, when does this become a a self-sustaining monster that can't be stopped, the uh, education piece? And are we at that point already, or hmm. how do we shut this thing down?
1: Thanks, Mike. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Descending voices, Lori?
2: Oh, okay. Now, I don't know about any dissident voices, uh, so if I look, just look at the amendment that was passed to their Constitution, it was passed by two-thirds. It had to be passed by two-thirds. So that suggests that what, um, you know, the, the dominance of progressives in the NEA. One thing that in, in my experience in all sorts of contexts is conservatives are cowards. So, if they view the, if they have a dissident or dissenting view, they're afraid to express it. So I wasn't at the convention to know it, how they were expressed. I do know, as I mentioned earlier in, in our discussion that organizations like the APA and the American Academy of Pediatrics, for instance, when they had their pro uh, trans affirmative protocols that they passed, there and I know this for a fact. They did not, when they came up with the protocol, they do not submit it to the entirety of the AAP for a vote. There is no minority report. uh, About maybe 30 people came up with it, and then another 20 or so voted on it. And then it goes out... In fact, the members of the AAP didn't even see it until it came out in a press release. So that's a general idea about how these organizations work. So when you hear that the APA supports some position, you have no idea how all the members of the APA Mm -hmm. feel about this new announced leftist policy. And about the self-sustaining nature of this, I mean, that's a great question, and it's a huge question. I'll say a couple of small, minor principles. One is that Christians have to be willing to endure persecution. The Halcyon days for Christianity in America are over, and the sooner we accept that, the sooner we we'll can start, start like acting with courage. We are going to be persecuted. People are going to hate us. We know that's going to happen. And so in aligning with their uh, resistance to experiencing any kind of persecution, Christians have either not been paying attention or deliberately looked away because it would call for them to do something when you experience. We have been teaching for example, pro-homosexual plays and novels in middle schools and high schools for years, and almost no one says anything. So I would say we've ignored the little things that have happened along the way, and we're continuing to ignore them now. Yeah. And that's why we've gotten now the juggernaut that's here. And there, there is no greater threat to First Amendment rights than that posed by the LGBT movement, particularly now the trans ideology.
1: Thank you, Beth. We've got Gene uh, in uh, Ashland County. You're on the air
2: parents were told that uh,
1: they shouldn't bother teaching their kids because they were always teaching them the wrong thing, and if they sent them to schools thinking the wrong thing, then the teachers had to re rearrange the thinking of the child. Yeah. So parents reluctantly um,
2: stopped teaching their children and thought all they had to do was send the child to the public school and the church and everybody else who knew so much better would teach their children. That was wrong. They relinquished uh, their... Uh, their right to uh, teach their children the right thing.
1: Gene, thank you. I'm going to have our guest comment on this aspect of surrogate parenting
2: yes I you know I, 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 when I first started with IFI, I would tell parents you know I, I more emphasized working to get public schools to change, and now I'm working much harder on getting churches to facilitate parents getting their kids out of school. A lot of parents can't, but we do need to get our kids out of school because they are being taught wrongly, and even if you're trying to undermine that when they for the little time that they're at home, we are not able to do it because the views they get in their government schools are the same views that the culture is perpetuating, and we need to just get our kids out. That said, we should still be involved in public schools for two reasons. Number one, whoever's there, they are our culture makers in a few years, and number two, it's a stewardship issue. Our money is being used to promote evil ideas.
1: Gene, thanks for your call. Let's go to Northport, Florida. Bill, you're on the air. I'm going to
2: remind us all of a name of many, many, many years ago. His
0: name was Nikita Khrushchev, and he was the premier of the Soviet Union. And he said, While slamming his shoe on the desk in the United Nations, we will take you over without firing a shot. Hmm.
1: And thank you for your call here today. And uh, indeed, what we're seeing take place here, Lori, is the indoctrination you warned about. And uh, without having to fire a shot, that indoctrination, that turnover is taking place.
2: Right. No, we are turning our children over to the government schools to be educated, and they're not being educated properly. They're introducing all sorts of topics that are not their business to teach. They're telling kids that an ideology, the leftist assumptions about sexuality are objective and true, and they're not. They're arguable assumptions that can and should be challenged. And my argument is we cannot put our kids in a place to be taught by adults who don't recognize the difference between males and females. We can't do that. It's gone too far now. And that's why I say the church, and including retirees, by the way, that's in one of my recent articles, need to make funds available for parents to exit public schools who can't afford now to send them to existing private schools, and they can't homeschool. And churches need to make funds available either direct money, or create affordable public uh, private schools, because we must get our kids out of public schools.
0: Lori,
1: we're down to uh, just 40 seconds here. What, what would you like to leave with the listeners? We've talked about two organizations here. We see the undermining of biblical values, uh, undermining of moral family values, and the sexualizing of a nation.
2: Christians need to better understand what the separation of church and state means. It does not mean that our political decisions can't be shaped by our religious faith. It means the state can't establish a state religion. As long as we misunderstand, because the left is now saying that your your free exercise of religion only pertains to what you do in church. Unless we recapture a proper understanding of that, we're going to continue to lose ground on that.
0: Our thanks to Jim Snyder with Crosstalk. And VCY America for this important interview with Lori Higgins of the Illinois Family Institute. Lori's always informative articles are available at IllinoisFamily.org. Be sure to join the Reverend Franklin Graham for the IFI Faith, Family, and Freedom Banquet November 1st at the Tenley Park Convention Center. For tickets, click events at IllinoisFamily.org or call 708 708- Don't hesitate to get your tickets now. And please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute as well as Illinois Family Action. Tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. And until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.